Welcome to Kashmas on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmas Magazine. And tonight's show, I think, is going to be very special. In the last few weeks, I know we had some tremendous shows. When Rabbi Belsky two weeks ago and about meat uh, last week, and I got tremendous response for both shows. And tonight, we're going to be touching on uh, some of the things, an extension of what we discussed last week, the meat issues. But then we're going on to something which I think is very, very special. And I, I would love to put it into writing. I hope I will be able to, but I can talk about it here with you people over the air. And that is uh, debunking some of the myths of Kashrus. And I have here 13 of them. I hope you don't miss any of them. And I just want to tell you that it's really important to listen to the whole show if you possibly can. I know people are driving and they're doing other things. But we have the show recorded. You can listen to it in our archives at uh, jrootradio.com, and you look for Kashrus on the air. And it goes by date. It's pretty simple to find things. I wish there was had subjects, but at least we have the dates over there, so you can work your way back a little bit. And always mention the first couple minutes by minute of the show what we're going to be discussing during that show. So I, I think you could uh, it would be helpful. A lot of people don't hear everything, and they sometimes come away confused. I had one person walk up to me in shul. I see the shul is the place that they always catch me because I'm only in the office maybe two hours a day, and uh, people are trying to reach me. I can't get through. They can't get through to me, and I can't return all the calls. And so it's very very hectic. But what happens is that. In shul, they catch me. And I don't know who they are. They walk up to me and ask questions. This person, I talk to know who he is. And he came up to me last week and he said, he thinks that I said that I used to go to the butcher who had the problem with these um, using the plumbers that weren't, that weren't really authorized and maybe the meat wasn't even kosher. I said, that, no, that wasn't what I said. And maybe it sounded that way. Maybe it came across that way. And uh, that's why it's important to listen to the to the um, to the tape, if you possibly can. What I did say was, yes, there were tongues that coming out with plumbers on it that were not authorized. How that happened, uh, not going to discuss. You can imagine yourself what it means. It means that probably somebody was producing those or catching those uh, plumbers and stealing them or whatever it was. There was definitely something that there was some chicanery going on. I used to shop at a place called Shill Brothers. And they were 150% on, I don't know if they're still around or not, but there was, they were at that time they were 150% on the top of the line. They were controlled by Breuers, and Breuers was doing the Shrita. They controlled the delivery to Shill Brothers, and everything was 150%. That's why I, I told the story last week, although, as I say, some people didn't catch it. So it's important to try to listen carefully. And, of course, if you, you didn't hear something clearly and you want to call in, I'm more than happy to answer it here on the show. So let me just tell you, before we go on to my topic tonight, which are debunking the myths of Kashrus, I really was impressed. And it's Hashkocha Pratis. Here I discussed a whole show on meat, and I put a lot of effort into putting it together. And then, <laughs> then a few days later, actually it was Erev Shabbos, I think I got the first one, Kashrus Currents. Unbelievable. Kashrus Currents is uh, put out by Star K, and they put out a special edition just about meat. 
came out a couple of days after I did the show. It was obviously being printed or mailed or whatever, but it would never reach anybody by that time. And it was put into newspapers, but it didn't reach anybody then, maybe my Wednesday or Thursday. But nobody got it before. I didn't know it existed. So I really want to share with you. First of all, you should get a copy of this thing. It doesn't cost anything. You can go it online. And if you want to get it from them, they want a little donation. But uh, either way, uh, it's up to you. Star K, if you want to call them, you can call them at 410-484-4110. And you can find them on the web, star K, S-T-A-R-K.org. Anyway, the, the, the Kashmir's Currents Winter 5776 Special Meat Edition. I'm going to just read a few lines from here. Each one, I'm taking you the best, but you still should get the, uh, you still should get a look at it. And especially we have an article here from Rabbi Heinemann himself, Rabbi Moshe Heinemann, who was the head of the Star K, and from Rabbi Shuchman, who was also a cautious administrator, administrator and somebody very knowledgeable about the meat business. It's worth it, believe me. And then you don't have to pay any money for it, too. Um, these, these little pieces that I'm going to give you are just isolated, but they're very important. Here's a quote. Beef and poultry products traveling vast distances from slaughterhouses to processor and from distributor to retailer before reaching the dinner table. That's the problem now. Again, the problem isn't really where the shrita is done. I put a good man in charge of the shrita. He's getting, you'll excuse me, six figures. That's the person in charge of the shrita in the plant that this rabbi or this organization put in. He's definitely getting six figures. Um, how high six figures? I don't know, but he's definitely getting six figures. Now, he's, he's over there in the plant watching everything, and there's a lot of people underneath him. Everything is, let's say, doing pretty well. But the problem is traveling vast distances from the slaughterhouse to the processor. The processor is, uh, you know, and from the distributor to the retailer. Retailer is where you buy something. The processor, let's say, for example, is making uh, salami and bologna and stuff like that. They're not doing the shrita. That's not necessarily being done in-house. It's being sent someplace else. And it's going long distances. And sometimes it's middlemen. That's why it says over here, from distributor to retailer. So so there's a lot of people in between. That's what he pointed out. And then there's a quote here, which is very, very nice. I mean, anybody who knows anything about the history of New York knows that what I'm telling you is true. But the numbers are still shocking. There's a quote. Up until the 1940s, at least 5,000 meat purveyors making a kosher claim blanketed New York City. In other words, 5,000 people in the meat business, either a a restaurant or or a, 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 a butcher, 5,000. Thousand. That's the number. I didn't make it up. This figure, listen to this, it comes from a uh, secular uh, publication, The Butcher Workman. It's the name of a book. Or actually, not a book. It's like a study. A study of unionization. Yeah, it is, it, is a, it is a book. The Butcher Workman, a study of unionization by David Brody from Harvard University Press. And then Timothy Litton, who I had on this show, by the way, he wrote the, the book, Kosher Private Regulations in the Age of Industrial Food. I had him here talking about that book. It's very interesting. He says there were 6,000 butchers in 1915, or that early, who were advertising kosher meat 
3,600, he said, sold non-kosher as well as the kosher. So who knows how kosher the kosher was. But that's a, that's a history lesson. I'm not going to go into that area now. It's very interesting to study what was going on in America. There was a, a vast amount of chicanery going on. There was a lot of people claiming to be kosher that were lying. I have stories about it. I'm not going to tell you now the stories now. We'll save it for another time. But that's the number that were really floating around New York City. We don't have anything near that. We don't even have, we maybe have a couple hundred, maybe we, but we don't have any 5,000 anymore. The world changed. First of all, a tremendous, every Jew used to eat kosher meat. My Rebbe, may less than peace, the tzaddik, Rabbi Osho Zimmin Zatzal, taught us that you, if you, in the old days, he, he would paskin, that if you saw a mezuzah on the door, then you didn't have to kasha your oven. That's how many people were keeping kosher. If you saw a mezuzah on the door, you didn't have to kasha your oven. Now, I'm not going to go into the details about that, psak, but that just shows you how, much, how far our Jews have slipped. Today, 17% of conservative Jews keep kosher. 17% of conservative Jews, which is a very large number of Jew, conservative Jews, whether they're all Jewish or not, different issue, but... You know, the 17% keep kosher, and Reformed Jews, none of them keep kosher. So, um, the, you know, you, you have a... But they put a mezuzah. Yeah, no, no, I'm <laughs> saying, I said that was a psaac from the old old days. In fact, you have to listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> listen, you have to listen to the tape. You've got to get the tape. You've got to go hear the whole tape. Just... You know, I said that the old days, that was the psaac. He would never say it today, because today, uh, you know, a mezuzah could be on a goy's house, too. There are goyim I know who who want that for good luck. I'm sure you know it from the I, business. I, I, I know. You know what? The <laughs> next door to us, we have a gym, core gym, just because it belongs to. He said, "It's good for the business." So put the mezuzah. <laughs> I don't know where if something. He doesn't else, know what it is. It, it, I know. <laughs> I think it's maybe, maybe it's empty. Yeah. I, I know. I yeah. know. And who knows what is it? That's very important. Um, we when we sold our house, I grew up. We sold the house, and the goy asked us to leave up the mezuzah. So we, you know, he took it out. I couldn't. We had no choice there. But they gave him some empty thing. He thought he maybe, but we emptied everything out. But he was afraid. He wanted to make sure he had. He thought it was a holy thing. Anyway, uh, back to the story over here. So five thousand. It's an interesting change. Now there's another interesting thing they mentioned in this book. This uh, cash was currents. The site of the United Station building in New York City was used. It had been a slaughterhouse with kosher production back in the old days. Just an interesting spot. Now, I, I'm going to tell you about what's going on. He, he mentioned, and I, I see a lot of issues here, not so much germane to us. They said that, that, that today it's all concentrated. The beef uh, business is concentrated in the Midwest, and that's basically where you have the kosher uh, industry of shrita in, in beef in America. And, of course, they're importing from other countries. And he has a list of the countries that are there. It's very interesting. Argentina, Australia, Chile, Costa Rica, Mexico, and Uruguay are very common places, as well as Israel. The meats are coming from these places. There are uh, uh, the shrita uh, of oifos, of the poultry, is going on in Pennsylvania, New York, and Iowa, and Israel, Mexico, and Canada. Now, there are... An important statement he's making here, which I think we should listen to very, very carefully. 
This Rabbi Shuchman from the from the Star Cave wrote this following thing. Outside companies and agencies sometimes undertake the expense of sending their own teams, even though qualified and experienced Shochtim and Bodkim already work in the plant. In other words, the people who are there, the Hashkocha is, let's say, a national Hashkocha, one of the five big Hashkochas. And, and yet, a lot of times, a Hamish organization will send their own people down to the plant. They believe their target market, that means us, prefers to purchase meat produced by people who conform to their own distinctive modes of religious practice and custom. This gets to the phrase that we're all hearing, Hasidic Shrita. Some Hasidic communities take this demand further by insisting that even the wives and families of team members, that means the Shaykhtim and the Baikim, etc., must follow their societal norms. They must be also Hasidish inclined and wear the things, let's say, the way the, the headdresses, etc. As a result of this insistence, large kosher processors who seek wide-range markability have stopped employing non-Hasidic shoychtim over the past 14 years. And that means that in the last, four, in the last 15 years, you can't find a shoychet, a boydek, anybody there that's not Hasidish. So the word Hasidish shrita is a little bit of a misnomer because technically they're all Hasidish shritas. What they mean, Hasidish shrita means a Hamish hashkacha, which may have some additional control in the factory. And there really is different additional control. I'm quite aware of it. But that's, you know, whether it's necessary or not, is the difference between the five national Ashkochas and the Hamish Ashkochas. But definitely they do introduce different things. So, for example, let's say, for example, I'm going to a major uh, company that's under the, one of the five national Ashkochas. So I could go ahead and say, I don't want to use all the Shochtim here. I'm not going to use it, some of the people here. I could be selective, and I would get away with it because I'm doing a volume. And they would that other shaykhah, they would have them do something else that day, or a few other shaykhah, they have them do something else that day. And that's what happens in a lot of these factories. So they do really have a nice control. Whether it's necessary or not is, you know, the difference between whether you're buying a national shaykhah, which something only has national shaykhah, or a Hamish shaykhah together with a national shaykhah. Anyway, an interesting Footnote number 14, unbelievable. The original, and I didn't, I didn't know this thing properly. That's, just, that's my fault. I should have known this. The original difference between Hasidic and traditional Shrita, when people said this is the Hasidic Shrita, we only use Hasidic Shrita, what did it mean? It was regarding the knife. For generations, knives were fashioned from forged steel. However, for various reasons, 18th century leaders of the uh, Hasidic movement, in, the new Hasidic movement, introduced knives made from molten steel, not forged steel, but molten steel. Each type has its halachic merits. Prolonged and heated disputes on this topic split communities. Although the Alter Rebbe Lubavitch, uh, written in a certain tshuva, wrote that each side has legitimate basis and neither should impugn the other's kashras. Eventually, all shochtim uniformly adopted today's stainless steel knives. Hasidic shchit nowadays is distinguished by the shochet's outward appearance, i.e. growing a beard and payas, clothing and style, and practices, i.e. immersing in the mikveh every day.
There are no differences regarding the requisite piety of the shaykhet or the act of shechita per se. So, I mean, in other words, there are certain things that are, that are required in the Hasidic world, and some of the shaykhtim don't have it. There's maybe still shaykhtim out there in some factories that are doing, that don't have a beard, and they don't go to the mikvah, and they're not Hasidish really, and whatever. There are some people probably still around. But that's what he's saying is that there was a lot of pressure to get Hasidish shaykhtim for all the shaykhtas, and yet there is a difference between different shaykhtas. I'm not going to get into that tonight. Just wanted to let you know what they're saying, and I'm going to give you some of my own little reactions to it as we go along. The next point is um, the difference between the old days and today. In the old days, we used to uh, do our own checking in the house and salting in the house and run to rabbis, and he's saying we got away from that and all the problems are solved in the factory. That's a general statement that they're making in this article, but my experience is that I've taken uh, chickens to a rov that I'm, I know is very familiar with, with, with shechita, and he gives hashkachas on shechita, and he's been in the business for, you know, 30 years or so, and he's very, very knowledgeable, and I take over to him even things that were bought from his stores and that, uh, that he, the shechitas that he's been responsible for, and sometimes he's told me, you can't eat this. Sometimes he's told me, you have to cut this piece off. And in one case, he told me, this is treif. Even though it came with Ashkacha that he either he did or he relied upon that he would have used in his stores. So really, this is not a joke. And, and the book Chulin Illuminated has excellent pictures in there. And the Star K also has some excellent pictures. You can get the Star K thing free. Um, you go to their website and look for Star K Kosher Classroom. They have a, a free full-color poster. You can also get it on chinuch.org from the uh, yeah, chinuch.org. Is, I think you can get, or maybe just maybe just from them. But Star K, you definitely can get this uh, wonderful uh, picture that they have. It's a poster called Common Shilas on Packaged Chicken. So you can't say that there's no shallows today because they're telling you to look at this poster, teach it in the schools, and be aware of it. So definitely shallows get past the, the butcher stores and the shritas, the schlacht houses, and therefore there is a responsibility that we all have to learn about it. And unfortunately, nothing is being done in the yeshivas. I've spoken about it here on the radio, and not one yeshiva called me up and asked me how to, t- how to set something up. I'm very frustrated that no, no, no yeshiva and no base Yaakov ever called from this radio show for five, four years asking me, what could we do in our school, Rabbi Wickler, to educate the kids? What should we have as a, a cautious program? Do you want to help us put something together? Would you come down? Would you send somebody? Could you recommend somebody to teach us about chickens, to check the, how to check the chickens? I mean, my goodness, why is it that no one has come four years? I don't know. I've spoken in many places, but nothing has come out as a result of these shows that I do and that I mention to our listeners about it. Some we had direct contact with some schools, and some people came to them on their own. But it's unfortunate that, that not more is being done in the yeshivas and, the, and in the girls' schools on this particular issue, and especially when, when things are available that are absolutely free. Now, I'm going to go uh, quickly into 
another one or two items that 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 we have here. I'd like to read this section. The qualification for Yiris Shemayim, this is, I believe, right behind him himself, talking, no, this, this is Tzvi Holland. It's from Tzvi Holland, it seems. It says that the qualification for Yiris Shemayim, fear of heaven, is applied generally to all aspects of Kashrus, but has greater emphasis with regard to kosher meat production. Subtle mishaps, such as vertical pressure on the knife or, or a slight pause while making the cut, can invalidate the shrita. It makes it a trifer. makes it actually, I mean, a, 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 it's a nevela, actually. Rubbing along with too much vigor can rip off a sircha, making it appear glot, which when it is really just regular, uh, regular kosher, or it could actually be treif. Since these mistakes are imperceptible to an onlooker, you and I would never know. All involved personnel must be vetted. They got to check out everybody working in the plan to possess impeccable moral fortitude. I mean, he goes on to a little bit. I remember behind him and telling me, he said, if anybody gets too many novelists, he's going to get fired because he, he doesn't care about it and he's, too, he's, he's, he's over the top. It's, it's, he's not. Or, you know, when he's not a I don't know. But if anybody in his bucket doesn't have enough novelis, then I'm also going to fire him because he means that he doesn't he doesn't realize that we are human beings and we do make mistakes. So that we need to Yerushimayim is something that you have to really work hard to fire that person Yerushimayim. Many years ago, I met a man who I had seen at a plant when I was go, visiting different plants. And I had observed his, his shrita. And he told me, you know, when you saw me, with a little flick, I could have made the, uh, the bird treif, and you would have never have known. And that's how imperceptible it is to us. Maybe a big maven would know and see something on their hands, but it's really very hard for any layman to catch anything like that. And therefore, it, it bottom lines out as, the, as is all in the Indian of Yerushimayim. Now, I'm going to quote a few words from Rabbi Heinen himself. I, I, it's really, it's pathetic that I don't have the time to read the whole, you know, a lot more than I am, but it's, uh, you should really get, get a copy of this. His article is called Making the Cut, and it's in Kashva's Currents, the one you, that came out free in the uh, newspapers, or you got it in the mail, or you can get it from stark.org. He discusses uh, a number of issues such as the, the, the checking of the lungs in Israel. We don't check the lungs in America. And he discusses the thing about calling certain kinds of things like chicken, calling it kosher, even though we don't check the lungs. But he says something here that uh, you have to hear. I'm going to just give it to you uh, in, the, in a general way. Now there's a marked shortage of true base Yosef glot and regular glot, kosher meat. Sometimes only one in 20 animals will be truly base Yosef glot kosher. Some have extended the base Yosef glot to, uh, standard to include animals that were only once considered to be glot and have been reduced and, and have reduced the regular glot even more 
to the point of being stam kosher. What he's claiming is that some people in this shrita, where they are actually doing glad kosher, in order to get meat that they want to call base Yosef glad, are not doing a proper job. And some people to get glad are also not doing a proper job. Consumers must have a high level of confidence in the kosher certification of their meat. So he's raising a little bit of uh, of uh, concern for some of the shritas. Therefore, I, even though I made the statement last week that basically most of the shritas are, are in order, and I, I, I said clearly last week, and I'm just going to make it a statement again. Yes, basically most of the shritas are in order, but there are issues. And you do have to sh- go looking for ashkachas that you rely upon and consider to be exceptionally good when it comes to the meat area. The rest of it, you have to leave to them. There's no way you're going to be able to differentiate. I know it's. Uh, I spent already half the show but just discussing this article, but I think it was well worth it. The other part that we're going to do, in Hashem, I, I think might have to be drawn out to more than one shot. But let's take a moment and talk about Glotmart, our sponsor, which is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. When you think of Glotmart, think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. Some of the specials they have on sale today and tomorrow, I don't have the new prices yet, are family-packed chuck ground beef, $4.49 a pound. Beef blade London broil, $9.99 a pound. Crispy cereal, 12 ounce, $2.99. Geffen ketchup, 28 ounce, $1.69. Mendelssohn's pizza bagels, six pack, $2.99. And at Glatmart, you can save plenty of time by using their valet parking service. Just pull into Glatmart from the East 12th Street entrance. They'll park the car for you and have it ready to load up with all those special items that you purchased in the store. And at Glatmart, the quality of meats is A1. With kosher certification from both the Star K and the Vatikashas of Flatbush, with base Yosef meats and with expert Nikor, at Glatmart, you're getting quality kashras. And the Glatmart is at 1205 Avenue M. Meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dovin Glatmart, tell him you heard about Glatmart on Kashras on the Air over J Root Radio. And now I'm going to really begin our show. I just want to give you a heads up on what I was saying. And I, I know I'm not going to complete the, the whole topic. And I welcome your calls a little bit later. Just give me another few minutes. I'll try to read these and be brief about my discussion on them. And then we can discuss them or anything else when you call in. There are a lot of myths about kashras. And I think if you hear some of these, you realize that many of you may even be you know, believing some of these myths. But I can tell you everything I'm saying to you, I can back up with detail. Some things I won't tell you with the name of the products and the companies, etc., because it's just not uh, something that we could do without getting into Lush and horror, and I, I don't do that. Very careful about it. The first one I'm going to mention is something that does deserve a lot of concern in the from world, the Hasidish world, the Hamish world, people that I associate pretty much with over here in this area. Many people had thought mistakenly that for the last 30 years, Rabbi Yisrael Belsky 
was the poisek of the OU. That is not a fact. It is absolutely not a fact. And anything you read about it in the press, I mean, I don't know what they say now, you know, when they say we're talking about him after he passed away. But, but the, anything you read from the OU, anywhere that's printed, it clearly doesn't say that he was the poisek of the OU. And many people thought he ran the OU, which also was not true. Rabbi Belskis was always Rosh Hashiva, and he would come in one day a week and answer questions of all nature that people asked of him. And he did meet with the heads of the OU on, on, making, uh, on, on major issues that had to be decided. But the decision was not his. And he wasn't, it wasn't a one-to-one uh, relationship, in other words. So he wasn't asked the question by uh, Rabbi Ganak, and, and he poskins the child, and Rabbi Ganak did what he said. It didn't work that way. We had a gentleman on the show, Rabbi Gersten, whose job it was to be the secretary to write all of the psukim from Rabbi Belsky and Rabbi Schachter and Rabbi Ganak and to discuss all the halachas that, were, that, that, that they paskined and put it into the computer so for future use they would be aware of the information and they would be able to decide for the future based upon uh, situations that came up in the past. And, the, and those... Uh, and, and this was uh, what he does basically at the OU, Rabbi Gersten. Now, Rabbi Ganak basically is the one who makes the decisions for the OU. He's the CEO. Halachic issues he discusses, he discussed with Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Belsky, with Rabbi Herschel Schachter from YU, and Rabbi Usher Weiss, and maybe other people, Poiskim uh, of all nature, I know that they always shilas of Rabbi Yosef Zatzal, and other all the Gedoli Israel were asked different shilas at different times. No question that they consult with a lot of people, but the decision is made by the administration of the OU, meaning Rabbi Ganak as the CEO, in conjunction with whoever else he discusses the issues with. The input, yes, input he had, and but people have to understand that and not to. Uh, misconstrue, because I think a lot of people were not aware of this fact. What does it matter? It doesn't matter, but it's just something that people should know, because a lot of people were making decisions based upon knowing Rabbi Belsky. I know for a fact that Rabbi Belsky never agreed to the, to the OU's position on tuna fish, but that he was told when he went there that that's not something that's open for discussion. It's been grandfathered in. It's psukim that they got from Rabbi Yosef Be'er Shalavechik. And, uh, and, and, and Rabbi Ganak has a tshuva that he wrote, nine uh, reasons why the, the tuna fish that they have was acceptable, even though there's no mashkiach Tamidi and there's no bishul Yisrael. They're based it on nine different points. And uh, that, that's a decision of the OU. But it definitely wasn't Rabbi Belsky's decision and the fact that the OU at Cholvistam, et cetera, this was not Rabbi Belsky's uh, decision. This is not, uh, it, it, not at all, shouldn't be confused. That's one uh, myth that I wanted to straighten out because it's very important to a lot of us living in these neighborhoods. Now, in general, uh, this is really giving you a little bit, uh, that was like a, almost like a, almost like a, a beginning of the topic, and that means that anybody who's working in any cashless organization, it doesn't mean that they are uh, agree totally with the, uh, with the ideas of that organization. 
And it also doesn't mean that they control everything in that organization. I have three examples. I wish I could give you the names and the, and the organizations they work for, but I won't. I'm going to describe, I know, but I can't really do it right now. Um, somebody says, okay, somebody texted in. Most likely, many Beisakov schools already have a cautious program instituted in their school. I was in high school six years ago, and we had a very comprehensive cautious curriculum. I know for a fact some of them do, and I know for a fact that some of them don't. I know that no yeshivas have any program. I've spoken in some yeshivas that no yeshivas don't have any program, and they also are responsible for kashras, but the, the, not all the girls' schools have a, a comprehensive program. No, no, no. I won't say. We try to push many times that the yeshiva will call Rabbi Wickler and even the Jeru to con consider even talking about kashrut because we see it, it's lacking, uh, a huge, huge lacking. Right, Rabbi? I mean, I was brought into a school... They were going crazy. The, the yeshiva was going crazy because the kids are eating all kinds of things outside. It's a high school in our neighborhood over here. The kids are eating all kinds of things outside. The, the, the Rebbeim and the Manile was, 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 uh, was really uh, very concerned. But he brought me in once. I spoke to them for a few hours, and that was the end of it. I mean, so I gave him a nice little, gave him a little dose. But one shot deal in the matter of a couple of years, that's not really much it of a help. It seems that they don't want to hear. No, <laughs> I'm but sorry, no, I'm no, sorry, no, no, I didn't say that. No, I don't want to say that. I just want to say that they have a lot of things in their plate, and they don't address this. But our listeners should bring it to the attention of the Hanhala. Yes, if you have a program in school, Baruch Hashem. If you want to discuss it with me, tell me what's going on in that you're having in the schools. I'd love to learn. In fact, if you'll tell me the name of the base, Yaakov, and you'll discuss it with me, I'll mention it on the radio next week. Let, let me send me a text. Again, uh, you can text me or email me at kashrus, K A S H R U S, at AOL.com. Tell me the schools you went to and this, uh, a little bit about the programs that they had. I know that, the, um, that, that uh, BYA had a program for many years. That I know. Um, I don't know if they have now. I know they had for many years. They had a, the rabbis no longer living, but they have for many years a pro very good program. And every, uh, they always were buying my magazine and giving it out at the program. Uh, I haven't had any requests in a bunch of years. Anyway, uh, in addition to that, if you want to reach us by phone at our office, it's 718-336-8544. I'd love to hear the 718-336-8544. Nobody's there now, but I'd love to hear from you about any program that you've had in school or any yeshivas or girls' schools that are interested in any program about yeshiva. They have to be obviously... You're calling me. I'm not going to call the Menahel or Menahelis. You have to speak to them, and then then we'll set a program up. They have to they have to call me or you know some some like I can't run after schools to, to try to convince them. Uh, that's tag. I can't do that. Now uh, we mentioning the fact that rabbis who work in conscious organizations do not necessarily agree with the standards of the organization and do not necessarily set the standards of the organization. You're looking at Rabbi so-and-so, and you figure he runs the organization. I'm talking about the heads of the organization don't make the halachic decisions. It's being made by rabbis who you never heard of, never saw, because they have a system. You know, it's, it's, there's a pres president, vice president, there's a vada rabbonim, they make decisions, and even though the kashrus administrator is the head of kashrus, he does not, in many cases, does not make the halachic decisions, 
and can he cannot decide we're not going to give these kinds of hashkachas. He cannot say we're not going to use this product in our establishments. His hands are tied. I'm going to tell you three stories. Number one, a rabbi who I know for maybe 25 years. He's worked in a few organizations. He's the head of, the, of, of one. He goes to all the, all the places. Who knows how many hashkachas they have. And he told me, I do not eat the meat. Because I asked him, I, I invited to a simcha, I do not eat the meat. I'm not going to tell you the details. I don't want anybody to figure out who this is, but he told me, I do not eat the meat. It's the, they allow too many, too many sources in, and I, can, I cannot suggest it. So that, and even though he gives the, he's out there every day, he's giving, he's arranging everything and control, he hires the Meshkichim and then tells him what to do, but he cannot control. The Vader Abonim behind him says that they, that they can use all kinds of meat that have a Samhashkach on it. This is a 100% Orthodox Vat. Another one, a rabbi who I know, who is extremely knowledgeable and wonderful in all areas of Kashrus. He told me, that he doesn't eat certain things that uh, that that, uh, that have problems with insects, which I'm not going to discuss what they are now. Certain things he won't eat at all. So I said, but you put it in your ashkoch. He says, yes, I can't control it. My The rabbis who run the Vod told me we have to have that in our stores. So <clears throat> very often you see this person, he has tremendous Yerushimayim, but would he back up what he's doing? A third story, a rabbi who I know for a good number of years, he moved into Ashkacha, took it over, a major Ashkacha, and he said, I'm going to change this place. I'm going to make it the top of the line. And I, he says, give me two years. I gave him the two years, and I asked him, how is it? Vastly improved. <clears throat> what about what you said about top of the line? I can't do it. I said, why not? He says, they won't let me. It's three stories of three nice-sized organizations that I know, heads of those organizations, the Kashrus administrator, and they cannot put into practice what they personally believe, what they personally do, what they want you to do. They don't control it. This is probably one of the biggest myths by looking at that man, respecting that man, you think that he's in control. The same is with the mashkiach. The mashkiach has a long beard. The mashkiach has payas. The mashkiach has long tzitzis. The mashkiach learned in yeshiva forever. And he's now working here part-time. You know, and you go over to him. He's like, can I eat here? I wouldn't do it. I don't eat here. Is he allowed to work there? The answer is yes. He needs panasa. He's not making the decisions. He's not in control. But I'm telling you that heads of cautious organizations do not make the decisions and do not have control. So when you ask them, instead of looking at what's on the menu or looking at the stores they supervise or looking at the products that they have there, if they have strawberries and raisins, whatever it is, doesn't mean to say that they'd eat the strawberries and the raisins. They have to put them out. So therefore, it's not a raya. It's not proof of anything when you see it in the store under a certain ashkoch. First, ask that rabbi, Rabbi, should I eat this? Do you eat it? Or maybe do you eat it as a little chutzpah, unless you know him well. 
I know all these stories because I know all these people well. I've known them for 30, 20, 30 years. I know everybody in the business. <laughs> but but you know, but you you can at least get them to say, I'm very mockpit, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Can I eat there? I had a situation this week. It was, uh, it was very bizarre Shabbos. Somebody was invited to a simcha on Sunday, I believe it was, and he came to me. What should he do? So he, I said, well, you know, where's the food from? He said, this is food from this place. It has two ashkochas, a national ashkocha and a local ashkocha. I said, the local ashkocha is worthless. The national ashkocha might be good. He said, I wouldn't go on the national ashkocha alone. I said, you find out at least if the owners of Shammah Shabbos. Then he tells me that the whole food is being delivered. It's not even from there. I said, well, first of all, call up the store and everything involved and try to make sure that they send it double sealed. And secondly, somebody has to be there to receive it. Is there, are there from people where it's being received? He says, I don't know. I said, well, you better have some from people there to receive it. Otherwise, you don't have, you don't have kasha. Kasha, you have basa, shouldn't sell them in the iron. So, you know, a lot of times the name alone of the Ashkocha or the name alone, it's not really enough. You really got to know the case a little bit better. I, I, time is almost out. I'll open up the phone calls to anything you'd like to discuss, and I'll have to finish these, I, these uh, three, 10 things next week or some other time. If anybody wants to call in, we're at 718-683-5858. We'd love to have your calls. 718-683-5858. Until somebody calls, we're going to continue. I'd like to mention a few more things. So again, if you reach us now, 718-683-5858. If you want to discuss some of the myths that we mentioned tonight um, about the, the rabbis who run the organizations that are not necessarily follow. Uh, the, the, they can't put into act into action their own feelings, and that they sometimes are eating different types of foods than they than they're that they're serving you, um, and also about the mashkichim that do the same kind of thing because they have no choice. Panasa, they need the panasa. Okay, we have a few callers already, and I see we're not going to probably complete all this program tonight. I'll try to set, schedule it again for next week. Go ahead, you're on cautious on the air. Go ahead, you're on cautious on the air. Hello? Can you lower the radio in the background, please? We can't hear a word he's saying. Let's get somebody else. Okay, you're unconscious on the air. Can we help you? Can we help you? Hello? You're unconscious on the air. Can you lower the radio? Oh, we have a technical problem? Okay. You're unconscious on the air. Can we help you? Yes, I'd like to ask. You said Ravelsky didn't go along with the uh, Tony Fish of the OU? Right. Did he take responsibility at all because as uh, a postdoc of the OU? No, no, he was not the postdoc of the OU. You missed my intro there. He was not the postdoc of the OU. There were two, uh, originally two, and I think there's a third person. There's a Rabbi Asher Weiss now. But but there was a uh, but Rabbi Herschel Schachter and Rabbi Belsky were hired as halachic advisors. Rabbi Ganak is the only one to make the halachic decisions for the OU. In other words, there could be the best of three, or in certain situations, he might override both of them. But they, they try as much as possible. You know, the, class, the, the classic situation, if you want a classic one, is quinoa. For, there was a discussion about quinoa. Rabbi Shachter's opinion was quinoa is not... Uh, is, not, is not a problem for 
uh, is not a problem for uh, Kitneus. Pesach. And Rab- Kitneus for Pesach. And Rabbi mm-hmm. uh, Belsky Zatzal's opinion, Belsky Zatzal's opinion was that it was Kitneus. I heard the tape where Rabbi Shachter said, we're going to go with Rabbi Belsky's Psak, and that is the way they did it one year. The next year, they certified it. So the decision is made internally for whatever reasons, and I'm not going to get into that. It's not my area. I have nothing to say about it. But for whatever reasons, a decision was made that they're going to certify Kinwa. Even though last year, they Paskin like they went like Rabbi Belsky, even though they didn't, even though Rabbi Shachter was Makel, Rabbi Belsky was Machmir on it, and they decided to certify it. So there is a, you know, you have to remember, most people don't know what I'm saying, but if you want to hear it, you go study. I could find it, I can find from my magazine, we list all of the people we had on the particular week. So, for example, yeah. tonight's show, it will mention the meat, follow-up on meat, and it'll mention some of our, our debunking of myths. Now, you can go back and... Uh, about uh, two years ago, whatever it was, I had Rabbi Gersten on. You'll see in my magazine, I list that. I could find the date. Rabbi Gersten, you could listen to the tape, and you'd hear Rabbi Gersten explain exactly how the halachic process works at the OU. I was a yeah, very, one, very, very valuable who, tape. Who's the poster that gives the hat for not having a mishkir to me on the tuna fish? Well, I didn't hear what you said. Who's the poster that gives the header for not having Mishriach to meet on the tuna fish? Okay, so first of all, Rabbi Ganak wrote an article many years ago, and he has nine reasons why you don't have to have a Mishriach to or Bishi Yisrael for tuna fish. He has nine reasons. I'll discuss one of them if you want. But they, anyway, he, just, he, he has nine. He, uh, he is the one who decides the halachos. But I, I believe that that psak was given to him by Rabbi Yashaber Salavechik Zatzal, who, who, who was the, one of the main halakhic authorities for the OU from the earliest days. So these, and there was grandfathered in, which means that it's part of their system, and nobody could come along in the future and change it unless, God forbid, they find you know, chazer being used in a factory or something, and they'll change it for that purpose. But as far as the, uh, but as far as the, the halach, the the, the the basis for their halacha, there's no reason why they should change it. Mm, thank you. But that's only one small. Ex- thank you very much. That's only one small example of of, of where you know his psukim were different than the OU. I was involved in a situation. I can't discuss it on the air. I don't want to discuss with anybody under any circumstances, but I was involved in something where um, I presented to Rabbi Belsky that there was an issue that uh, should be taken care of in the OU, and uh, we worked together on that. So there was definitely where some things are not necessarily the way, um, you know, the, the, the way Rabbi Belsky would have wanted it. And I was, I was in the background on one of, the, on one of these cases. So it, that's, that's the reality. Many people don't realize how Mahmir Rabbi Belsky was on some issues, how strongly he was convinced uh, on some of them, and he, and, and he, was, uh, he was livid. Uh, uh, a lot of times people uh, were surprised at his, at his strength of, of being machmir uh, when other people were makel. So that they always remember Belsky as being makel, but they don't realize he was a paisik, and he saw it the way he's, 
he said it the way he saw it, and it didn't matter to anybody. He wasn't afraid of anybody. He knew this is what he held is the halacha. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Okay. We're going to go back to, and you can call in. We still have a few minutes left. I'm at 718-683-5858. There's somebody wrote here that the the book of Chulun Illuminated says you don't have to know. I don't know what that means, but the uh, in Chulun Illuminated there were there were two versions. The first version doesn't have the pages of the pictures of the uh, uh, of the pictures of the of the chickens. But in the in the second version that he did, uh, which is being sold now, there are fifteen pages of unbelievable photos. Those photos, or you could paskin pretty much from the photo, because you really get the flavor of, the, of that particular color. If you get the hues and everything, I'm not saying it's, you know, you can really pass it from a, from a picture, but you get the feeling of whether this is a real Shiloh or not. Anybody who looks at those pictures could actually deal pretty well with these issues. Although I would say, as I do myself, when I find something that's a little scary to me, I run over to this rabbi, and, uh, you know, that, that's the way it is. Now, somebody else said, yeah, okay, somebody's on, we have a whole bunch of callers, okay. Are you on Kasha's on the air, can I help you? Yes, uh, I am a Talmud of Belsky from Tarvedas many yeah. years ago. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to just comment on what someone mentioned about Rabelsky being machmer or not. Rav Belsky, when he passed in the Shaila, he played with a full deck. Right. If you notice, similar to Rav Moshe Feinstein and Igris Moshe, every time he, before passing, he discusses the background, the Matthias of the Shaila, how the machine works, how electricity mm-hmm. works, and which he knew, and only then does he passkin with play, with full knowledge. The same Rav Belsky, would passkin after a full, complete knowledge of all the circumstances, and therefore his psukim were very correct and very strong and based on reality. To disagree with Rav Belsky, a person would have to get up very early in the morning and read all the books and all the information and all the knowledge he did in learning and Mila the Alma. Rav Shmuel Birnbaum once met uh, the Erev Committee in Brooklyn, and he said, before we begin, what is the Taisa stuff based on Aleph and Erev and say? And they didn't know. So he <laughs> said, gentlemen, the Erev is over. If you don't know what Taisa says in the Sechta Erev, and you can't be Machshur and Erev, Rav Belsky Paskin with a full deck, completely knowing everything. And this T.O.U., I know someone from you told me, they were just amazed. He, they, talk, they talked about machinery made in Taiwan, uh, and Rabbi Gnack was wondering, how in the world can we be Machshur? And Rav Belsky sat down and described to Menachem Gnack how the machinery works, from because he read a book on it in Camp Agoda 30 years ago, <laughs> how, how machinery works. And at the time, he said to me, you know, this is fascinating, this book. Because I asked him, isn't it boring? And therefore, his psokim are very, very strong. They're reality. They're with knowledge. I agree with you. I agree with you. You can't, you can't say it better than you did. And, and uh, it wasn't just in this area, the famous story with the, with the uh, astronomical thing that uh, the NASA, that whole famous story, I'm not going to tell it now, but you know that story with the NASA. They're the, the really, um, he definitely was more knowledgeable than probably anybody else 
who was dealt with these shayos. Of course, I don't know Rabbi, Rabbi Heinemann is a very strong person. I don't know. I never yes, Rabbi Heinemann knows also exactly the Metzias. We're talking about a man who investigates and knows exactly right. what's going on with full knowledge. Right. I know that for a fact. Right, These right, are right. good poskim. I'm not going to mention some others who aren't, but Rabbi no. Heinemann is dafka that league. Right, right. He I know sure he is. I know he, he is. knows exactly I, what the Metzias I know he is, because is, and then he poskims the Shaila. I know, I know he is. And, and, but the, see, I don't believe that you have to know all of that the Paskin of Shiloh. I'll explain to you why. First of all, Ramesha had to ask other people because he didn't know the physical things the way Rabbi, let's say, Rabbi Heinemann and Rabbi Chaim uh, Chaim Belsky. Well, after he was explained, he knew it exactly. Right. He knew who right. to rely on. Okay. Whether right. it's his Aidan, Rabbi Tendler, right. or other right. people right. who right. found right. out right. exact right. information we, we, from. Brothers, I, have I mean, he did course. have reliable right. people who he asked him and says, you know, there's a safer written 150 years ago about the question of using a telephone on Shabbos. And this man, Truas Melech, describes how a telephone uses. You see by his description, he didn't know what a telephone was. It was written two years after the telephone was invented. Right. I saw someone in Brooklyn who brings this safer as a tzad, not realizing that the Machaber himself, by describing how telephone works, okay. doesn't know that it works, that it certainly is Kil Shabbos Teraisi, it's Eish, Makibapatish, etc. Baina, according to Chazainish. But the okay, most Liz, important thing is to know the Metzias before you even begin to pass in a you're, right, you're right. Thank you very much for the Metzias. Thank you very much for the call. You're 100% right. I agree with you. Go ahead. You're unconscious on the yak. May I help you? Yeah, hi. Um, I want to know about um, um, the finish um, for the dishwashing detergent. Um, so I saw some of them have Echsher, and some of them don't have Echsher. Uh, I just want to know what you're able to use, what you can't use, um, uh, and how much uh, are, are we? What was the, what was the, do you, what for dishwashing, right? the detergent, that's it? Yeah, the, it, it's a specific company called Finnish Powerball. That's the company. So sometimes I, I've seen a hexer, sometimes I don't see a hexer. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know that. if it's a misprint of uh, okay, let, 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 let me tell you. Wrong, I, I, got, I got a call of similar nature, but not from this different company. Let me tell you what the halacha says, and then I'll tell you what my Rebbe Zatzal used to say. The halacha says that, that these things are nifsel meachilas kelv. Nobody's going to eat this stuff. It's not made... It's not somebody has to be well. What is in the? You're, you're, some people are machmir. Belsky was machmir on mouthwash. You know, should you be, the mouthwash you're putting in your mouth? This you're not putting in your mouth, and it's not edible, and you wouldn't swallow it, and it's washed off. So therefore, even if it would be hot water, it couldn't make your kalim trait. That said, my Rebbe Zatzal taught Vasha Zim and Zatzal taught that you should try to get with Hashkafa. Because you, something that goes on your food, because the food goes on it, and the things go in your mouth, you should do that, like a, a polish for, you know, for something that, that, that's uh, silver polish for things that you're using. I think like that he suggested getting with Hashkafa if you could do it. If you can't, it's 100% mutter. Okay? Thank you. So, so I just want... Hello? Yeah, I'm listening. Go ahead. 
Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so I just want, so I, even if I want to be Macbeth, I just, I, my question is, is that this specific one, sometimes it does have a hexer, sometimes it doesn't have a hexer, is, is, am I supposed, that's really, that's really my question. I mean, say on the side that I'm, I'm, I want to be Macbeth okay. and get no. something with a hexer on it, but I'm seeing something from the same exact company, from the same exact okay, thing. Okay, so let's go to that know, question. Is it different runs? Is it misprints right. in the thing? Okay. Well, that's what I want to so know. So the, the, the question is a good question. Is it the same exact name product? Um, I, it's oof, it's tough to say. I okay. mean, because every so, single thing has a new gimmick these okay. days. So let me let me so. let me uh, let me give you a general answer. The the the, uh, the product could be that it was getting hashgacha or losing hashgacha, and that's why you'll see different ones in the store. It could be there's a difference in that particular uh, version of it because that version might be has ingredients that the hashgacha wouldn't give hashgacha on because they have to give kosher. I mean, if they're giving hashgacha, then they feel that they must go down and they must check it out. And if they see something being used as an unkosher ingredient, even if it's bottle and if it does bad, bad taste and if no one will eat it, they mishpat. as far as they're dealing with us and dealing with the company, they feel they must have kosher product. That said... They, they don't go down very often. And if they go down normally to Hashkocha once a month, they might go down once a year, once every few years to this factory because they feel it's all just a Choshe Mishpat child and your day, halachically, there's nothing to write. So that's So that you, you might have a situation where it's changing hands. You might have a situation where there's new product came out and didn't get certified yet. You might have a situation where they're using a non-kosher ingredient. I can't tell you. But bottom line, if that's what you have, halakhli, you could use it. If you want to be machmir, like Rabbi Zimman said, so then fine. Thank you very much for the call. We have another minute? Okay, one more minute. Last call. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hello? Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Um, I uh, Recently, I checked the, the purple affitavis, and I saw that there's no you and all the other um, packages there are. Is, is there a problem or... It sounds to me like there is, but I can't tell you now. You can call the OU tomorrow at What's the number? 212 What? Wait, what's, give me a second. 212-263-4-0-0-0. 4-what? 0-0-0. 4-what? 0-0-0. And oh, you have okay. to ask for the Kashi's department, okay? Okay, thank have you. Have a good night. Thank you very much for calling. That's our last uh, call for tonight. We have another minute. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. And if you want to reach us during the week, 718-636-8544. Or you can email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Thank you for listening.